Welcome to the All Things Blues and Southern Rock Podcast, a southern harmony of bold, liberating rock, soaked through with blues, soul, and gospel. And now, your hosts for the show, Brian Jones and Jeremy Hunsaker. Welcome back to the eighth episode of the All Things Blues and Southern Rock Podcast. Flying solo this week. Uh, Jeremy is a pretty busy guy. Driving Wheel is mixing the new record, and he's taking some classes. So, Jeremy, my hat is off to you. You uh, make the show better. So here I am, and just kind of winging it. Uh, might babble out of order, but hey, we're just going to go with it. Been uh, listening to a lot of Joe Rogan's podcast and kind of getting a little bit of influence on how he does some things there. So, anyway... This is the shout-out episode of the All Things Blues and Southern Rock podcast. I've got to give a lot of uh, appreciation appreciation, and thanks for everybody that has been on. I really am uh, very, very grateful for that, everyone that we've had on the show. Speaking of, uh, from the Steepwater Band, the drummer Joe Winters. Thanks, Joe. Daryl Hans, formerly of J.J. Gray and Mofro, was on. Thanks, Daryl. Lightning Malcolm, we enjoyed so much talking to you. It was very awesome and uh, love playing bass along with your stuff. Drew Fulton from Magnolia Bayou, and we'll talk some more about them in a minute. Chris Kelly, bass player, singer from uh, Tennessee Champaign. Tanner Jones, guitar player from the Comancheros. Ben Lewis, bass player, former bass player of Bishop Gunn, no uh, acoustic uh, solo artist. Jay Gonzalez from the Drive-By Truckers. And uh, that's kind of leading into our episode today. I had a really, uh, had the great privilege to talk to Jared England from uh, Black Mountain Prophet, singer, guitar player, songwriter. Great guy. uh, Great, great couple of records that they put out. Notorious Sinner and Tales from the South, which is the latest one they put out. Highly recommend picking those up. And also, uh, Jeff Fetterman. Um, he is guitar player, blues guitar player from, uh, you know, northwestern Pennsylvania. Southern Sun is the name of his last record. So, once again, I'd uh, really uh, recommend picking that stuff up. Uh, I was put in touch with Jeff from uh, Doug Deutsch, who uh, is... Uh, Jeff's publicist and uh, I really thanks to Doug for making that happen as always thanks to Ian and Dave from the State of America podcast for uh, all the influence and making this all happen so I've been hearing the last few days about Facebook cracking down on bands live streams and we're kind of getting a couple of different uh, you know opinions of what's actually going on there uh, some of it's above my head. Um, so if you know about that, let me know on the Facebook page, uh, more specifically what's going on there. Let us know uh, who you're listening to, who's your favorite bands, blues artists, southern rock artists. That would be uh, very, very great to hear all about that. I want to give a shout out to uh, the people that are really... Uh, participate a lot on the Facebook page. Um, of course, Jeremy, Mr. Huntsaker, 
Uh, thanks, man, for doing that, for being around, being on the page. Uh, Cody, and I hope I'm pronouncing this last name correctly, Percival. He uh, is posting a lot of stuff, some vinyl stuff, some other names here. Graham Robertson, Richard Patton, Mark Lambert, Alan Bridgeford, Nick Collins, Andy Southernrose, and Keith Dabaruski, if I have that correctly. Thanks, guys, for uh, all that you do on the podcast or on the Facebook page. Excuse me. Thanks for all the participation and everything you do there. It uh, really uh, means a lot to me and I enjoy uh, seeing all your stuff on there. And uh, so I'm uh, going to talk a little bit uh, before we get into our interviews. We're going to talk a little bit about uh, some things we uh, have coming up or hope to have coming up. We've got uh, a couple album release episodes to do here coming up. Uh, the next one, or the one that we're planning on doing next, is for Magnolia Bayou and the release of their new uh, album, Strange Place. And that comes out on the 24th of this month. I've got the pre order. You got to pick it up. Everything I've been off it, I just, you know, can't say enough about how great it is. And the guys in the band, Drew Fulton, Dylan Palmanero, Cedric Frizzell, and Josh Estes. Once again, I hope I'm pronouncing everybody's names correctly. Uh, thanks, guys, for all the music that you uh, make and put out. That you know, I can't say enough about how incredibly awesome that is. Um, and also to the manager, Dylan's father, uh, Kevin Palmanero, thanks for being in touch with me. Thanks for uh, making a lot of this stuff happen, and I really, really appreciate that quite a bit. Um, D.D. Gossett-Howard, who runs the uh, fan Facebook group for Magnolia Bayou, you are awesome. Uh, my hat's off to you, and also the super fans, Matt Sullivan and Abby Comer, who uh, have told me they'd like to help out, you know, sometimes in the future, on location, whatever, wherever it might be. Got to have those guys on, and pretty much love to have everybody on that I've mentioned. Um, so, also, uh, although it hasn't been fully confirmed, we... Uh, have been told uh, that they're very interested and that would be Tyler Bryant and the shakedown uh, coming up. They got a new album coming up on uh, October 16th called pressure. And uh, we've been in touch with their management and we uh, very much intend on doing that new release episode. Um, a couple of, uh, artist that I've just come across lately and I'm just completely amazed is a gal by the name of Donna Massell M-I-S-S-A-L uh, she seems to be channeling Jan Janis Joplin and uh, while we get a chance to listen to her please do so, please do so um, also a band from the Netherlands called Voltage um, they have put out a record this year um, it's about time, I believe is the title. Um, I'll correct myself if that's wrong, but I think that's the name. And I've just uh, ordered the CD and on vinyl. Uh, you got to check that out. Listen to those guys. Go on YouTube. Find some tracks. So, this uh, flying solo one kind of breaking away from the usual vinyl ventures and the bootleg corner. Just kind of talking about uh, just whatever we talked about. 
what's going on with the Facebook cracking down on the old uh, live streams. Once again, I'd love to hear the specifics of that. Uh, also, shout out to uh, Don and Gene, my uh, brothers from another mother's. They've been uh, on the page from the beginning, and I can't say enough about how much I appreciate that. <clears throat> so, having said all that, I'd like to lead into our first interview for this eighth episode of the All Things Blues and Southern Rock podcast. He is a guitar player, blues guitar player from Northwestern Pennsylvania. His name is Jeff Fetterman. I'm listening to his music. I'm digging what I hear, and I really uh, appreciated uh, my conversation with Jeff. So without further ado, here is Jeff Fetterman on the All Things Blues and Southern Rock podcast. guest this week on the all things blues and southern rock podcast is a blues guitar player from bradford pennsylvania who won the 2017 rock erie award winner for best album and best blues band and to a 2018 memphis blues challenge semi-finalist we are talking to mr jeff fetterman how you doing jeff good Brian. how you doing man i'm doing good i'm doing good after uh figuring out what I thought was actual real technical problems. I just had the headphones plugged in the wrong place. Thank you. Thank you. Very little. So uh, the standard question is always like uh, these days in the, in the, in the time of, of COVID, what, what are you doing to stay busy to, with your music? Well, it, it, it's a pretty tough time. All of our gigs have been canceled. Most of them. Anyhow, we've only done probably about eight or 10 shows the whole year um i've done a few online shows myself um basically to keep myself busy is just concentrating on uh promoting my new album that i've just released and writing new material for the next one that's all i can pretty much do right now you know how long is that cycle altogether? like when your your record comes out you know promotion touring how you know how much time in between records does it vary for you or is it I usually like to wait after I've released a new album and start working on that one, promoting and doing live shows for that album. I like to wait about two years to two and a half years before I release another one. I don't want to over flood myself with music, putting it out people and giving them a chance to soak up the one that's just been, you know, recently released. I want them to have time to soak that one up, listen to it, like it, you know, and then, kind of wait for a couple of years. I, I like to, about a two year wait is what I usually like to do before I release a new one. Right on, right on. So like, how, what brought you to this point? How long you been doing this? Just, you know, how, when did you start music? 
Um, I, you know, I've always wanted to be into music. Uh, I, I'm a guitar player and actually, I actually wanted to be a drummer because I always felt the, the beat. I really liked the beat and the rhythms. Um, I wanted to be a musician. I remember when I was as young as five, six years old, I just felt the, the music and listened to a lot of music and stuff. And I actually started playing guitar when I was about 13 years old. So I've been doing this quite a while. I'm don't really want to mention my age now, but uh, it's been quite a few years. <laughs> so did you grow up in a musical family or just like what, when did you pick up the guitar? What, what, well, what's the thing that makes you get to there? Um, actually, what I wanted to do was, like I said, I actually wanted to be a drummer. And of course, my parents, they were definitely not going to buy me a drum set to be beaten in the house all night long, every night, you know. Um, so about the age of 13, we moved to a new neighborhood and there was a guy that lived up the street from me who had a band and they were practicing a lot in their garage and I could hear them coming down the street the music and I would go up and hang out and watch them. And that's what really started the fire for me. Um, and he actually, the, the fellow's name was, uh, his, if I remember his name right, clearly it was, uh, Anthony Coronati. And, um, we ended up just kind of becoming friends and he had an old acoustic sitting around and he gave me an old acoustic and, I just kind of started plunking away on that and watching him and going out and watching other people play. And I'm all self-taught. Uh, I never took any lessons. And I just learned by watching people and just driving desire. What leads the blues for you? The feeling. Um, when I was in my teenage years, I was into all kinds of music. I listened to a lot of the metal stuff. You know, I listened to people like Ronnie Dio and... Um, Motley Crue, all, you know, all the rock and roll like that. But there was always something with the blues music that just kind of grabbed me. I just I just kind of felt more emotion from it. Like Jimi Hendrix, when I first got turned on to him, that really turned me on into the blues. You know, of course, he was he was doing a lot of bluesy stuff, too. But then I started listening to people like Hendrix and then the Allman Brothers, Eric Clapton. And I just kind of got drawn more and more into that style of music. And it just kind of gra I gravitated gravitated towards it and that's where i ended up that's where i found my niche so you're from uh, bradford pennsylvania a small town correct very small town bradford pennsylvania yep so you ever what, heard of what did you have to do you know where did you have to go to find bands to find places to play i mean i were there places in bradford or do you got to go you're what, what 80 miles south of buffalo yeah, we're an hour and a half south of Buffalo, and we're an hour and a half east of Erie, Pennsylvania. Um, when we were young kids, teenage years, getting into our, our late teenage and young 20s and that, we we did a lot of traveling in a, in a few of my first bands and stuff. So I've always traveled, which I actually love to do. I love to be on the road. Um, we would play a lot of places like Buffalo, Pittsburgh, Cleveland, uh, we, we played every little roadhouse bar from, from our hometown <laughs> down into New York state, into New York state, Ohio, everywhere and anywhere we could play, you know, growing up is where we would go, um, just to get going. And now, you know, when we're playing now, we do a lot of traveling now. So, uh, the traveling's never really bothered me at all. I actually look forward to it. So like all those places you mentioned that you go to, uh, you always found like see a scene there, places to play. How was it for blues? Any any of those places you mentioned were any better than the others as far as the amount of bands or you know the support of the music or yeah, what was it the, all like? 
the area that I've grown up in, in my hometown, that most of, I'd say probably 99% of the places to play, uh, they're just hosting cover bands. Um, I am not really much into the cover scene after, you know, I started getting out and actually playing and stuff. I started wanting to gravitate towards more of doing my own thing and, and trying to be more original. Um, a lot of the places we played were just regular bars and clubs that hosted cover bands. Um, and as far as bringing in crowds and that years ago, they did. I mean, you could play every Thursday, Friday and Saturday and you would have a packed house no matter what. But obviously, you know, in the last 20, 25 years, that's that's changed dramatic, you know, dramatically and drastically. It's really changed um, in my hometown. Now, there's hardly anything left as far as uh, places to play. And the people that do play, they're mostly just single solo artists doing an acoustic guitar show for two or three hours. And they're playing a couple of the same circuit of you know, the three or four little clubs that are hosting that. So anybody who's, you know, serious about wanting to get out there and get noticed and having their uh, music heard, you, you have to travel from here. There's no doubt about it. Now, speaking specifically of blues, like I'll see, you know, every city or state seems to have a blue society, you know, Pennsylvania Blue Society or maybe Philadelphia or Pittsburgh or Buffalo or Cleveland, whatever. Um any of the places you've gone, have they? Is there specifically been a support for blues? Is it? Is that something that gets played less often? Uh, any particular of those cities that has more of a passionate blues following? Yeah, I I think I actually tried to start my own blue society here where I live. I live in a county called McKean County, mm. and years ago, me and a few other people tried to actually start what we called the McKean County Blue Society, and it worked fairly well for about the first six months but then you know it it just kind of kind of fell apart because there was too many people wanting to be in charge and nobody really wanted to be uh a, an indian everybody wanted to be the chief so that didn't work out you know um but now my biggest support city that i've played in has been pittsburgh pennsylvania which is about two and a half hours south of me southwest and they have the uh the Pennsylvania Blue Society, the Northwestern Pennsylvania Blue Society, actually is what it's called, and they've been extremely uh, supportive of me. And I've I've done quite a few shows in Pittsburgh, and uh, I always get a great reaction in the city of Pittsburgh. I really like the town; it's it's a great city, and and they have a pretty good blues scene going on down there. They have clubs that specifically play blues, have blues bands, or yeah, there's one actually. It's a legendary club in in Blonox, Pennsylvania, which is a little suburb outside of Pittsburgh. It's called Moon Dogs. Um, it, it's a very legendary club. I mean, everybody from Derek Trucks to Joe Lewis Walker to uh, Joe Bonamassa, everybody has played that club. And it's it's not an extravagant club, um, but it's got a lot of history. And you walk in and it's just like, it's just got the vibe. And that, that's the biggest blues club down there that has the, the most legendary. Like you would see Antones in uh, Austin, Texas. This is kind of like that in Pittsburgh, mm -hmm. the blues. Uh, the moon dogs club right on at what point like did you start to see yourself as a leader of a band you know when, when you know when do you go okay i was there a point where you go okay i'm gonna like start my own band you know was there ever a point where there were too many cooks in the kitchen so you just went hey i'm 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 a good leader i'm starting a band like when did that start for you that started in my last cover band about uh 15 years ago actually and i was on a gig 
and we were doing the cover band thing. And I was at the point where I didn't really want to play covers anymore. My heart just wasn't into it. I love music. I'm obsessed with music. Um, it consumes me 24 seven. That's all I want to do. And I was playing these shows and I was getting to the point where I'm going to these shows with the other guys and we're just learning songs and songs that I'm not really into and I'm not feeling the music. I mean, I can play the, the, the music and I'm going through the motions. And to me, that's not what music is about. Music is an emotion, you know? And finally on that one sh last show, I, I told the people in the band, I said, look, I've got to get away from here. I've got to do my own thing. I'm not feeling it. I'm not happy inside musically. I'm not, I want to go out and I want to start doing my own thing. Well, pretty much that disbanded the band and everybody, you know, and I told them, I said, whoever wants to come with me, you're more than welcome to, but, uh, Pretty much everybody left behind and tried, mm. which is fine, you know, I, but I was happy that I had made that decision. I felt peace within myself about making that decision. And um, that's where I started right there. Then I just started cracking down and I started writing and I started playing more and I started pushing myself out there under my own name and just kind of building it from there, just, you know, brick by brick until... I'm getting to where I'm, you know, trying to get national now, but, uh, I mean, I've got a good regional and I've got a good local following and, and a name, but, uh, you know, it just still takes a lot of work and a lot of hard work to try to hit the national level, which is what I'm shooting for now is my main goal. So do you have the, um, have you had a solid lineup for a specific specific amount of time? And if so, like, how did you find those guys? Um, the lineup that I have now, I had, um, the one drummer I had known for quite a while, he's been with me now, probably for about 13 out of those, the 15 years ago. So when I had the cover band, um, the drummer has stuck with me the most. He's been with me, I'd say about 12, 13 years now. And we had another bass player and that was local in the scene and, and he knew I was looking for a bass player. So he said he'd like to come on board and I had worked with his father in another cover band. So I told him what I was doing. He's like, yeah, man, I'll, I'll do it. You know, so we started doing that. And that's when I put together the first version of Jeff Fetterman band. And that went pretty well for about four or five years. Um, then we started having some issues with our bass player and he was having some issues. So I, and it was a very, very, very hard call. But me being the leader, I had to let him go because he wasn't as committed as I needed him to be. And he wasn't as professional as I needed him to be. And he was actually holding us back. So that was when I was like, okay, I've got to, I've got to make this choice. And I let him go. And then the, the other guy that I have now, my full-time guy now, uh, Rolf Reitinger, um, I saw him one night playing at a show and he was everything I was looking for in a bass player. And after the show, I approached him and told him what I was into. And he says, yeah, man, I'll come check it out. And, you know, we kind of hooked up and this has been with him. He's been with me now probably for five or six years now. And uh, it's, it, it's the perfect fit. The three of them are a trio and it, it's the perfect fit. All three of us get along. We've never had an argument or a disagreement. And it's just like three best friends just having a, the time of their lives you know and we can read each other very well we're playing enough now with each other where we know what the next person is going to do automatically there's no wondering what's going to happen it's just a, a natural thing which is really really cool and what i'm looking for so um that's how that's come about now with this with the the lineup now do you want to give your drummer a shout out as well John McGuire yes John McGuire he he's from Warren Pennsylvania which is probably about a 40 minute 
ride from where I'm at. Uh, excellent drummer. He's he fills in for a lot of people. The the thing about him, very quiet, not flashy, and although he can be great drummer, great timing, and every band wants him. You know, I mean, and he'll fill in for other bands and stuff. But he's always made this band the priority, and he's made so many sacrifices. Uh, to be in this band and to see us get where we can get the furthest we can go. Um, and he, he's a true warrior. I mean, he's, he's been a great, great asset to have. He's been there through every great gig and every crappy gig and, and everyone in between, he's always trekked right through it with me. So it's, it's very nice to have people like that, to have that vision. And so going from, you know, the regional scene to, or, you know, you're playing nationally or have for a while. How long has it, has it been, like, the from the start to where you're, how many years? Um, well, we're, as far as nationally, we're trying to get more national where I'm wanting to get me being on the East Coast. I'm wanting to get more out in the Midwest, more out to the West. Um, my region right now, mostly I'm hitting states of, like, Pennsylvania, New York, Ohio, New Jersey, West Virginia, uh, we've gone down into the Carolinas a little bit. So that that's more regional right now is what we're doing. But I'm trying to break out of those four or five states, you know, like Maryland and that we're, we're in that group right now. But hopefully, you know, this this new album will catch on and, and, and we'll get some recognition and and it'll help break out of that five, six state age that we're in right now. When you're going out playing these shows, are you playing just your band or who have you whether it's your contemporaries or people that have been around for a while like who is there anyone you play with more consistently do you play shows with more than one band like who have you toured with um we do a lot of our own shows we're you know obviously you know we're the headliner but we do do some support for a lot of the bigger name bands um we've played for and open shows with samantha fish uh, Kenny Wayne Shepherd on numerous occasions, and uh, Matonanji and Indigenous, uh, Joe Lewis Walker, uh, Jimmy Vaughn. The, the list is kind of endless. That just keeps going and going. You know, a lot of those people, those bigger names, when they're coming through like the Pittsburgh area or Ohio or Jersey or something like that, you know, I've I've kind of made friends with some of the promoters that help promote them and put them into these in these venues, and then I contact the promoter. And then we try to get on the show with them. Actually, I'm running everything on my own. I'm, I'm not. I'm my own booking agent, and I'm my own booker, uh, my own manager. Everything. I'm doing it all right now myself, which is a really, really hard thing to do um, when you're trying to expand to be more national. So hopefully, like I'm saying, you know, with this new album, it'll help grab some attention of, of you know, a, a bigger booking agency and and help us get on some more shows. Um, we've we've definitely have proved ourselves beyond a reasonable doubt on many of the national shows we've been on you know there's no doubt about that so who do you find in your contemporaries that's been doing this the same amount of time as you that's kind of on that same level playing this same kind of regional market that you would want like who would i want to hear if i say if i say jeff like what other bands that have been around the your amount of time that you dig that you like that like i want to find out about it like who who, who would i want to hear who who could you mention uh, as, as far as in our local region area, uh, unsigned bands that aren't really well known, is that what you're asking? Is that who you're Well, I, I, not necessarily like the region, like in the level that you're playing. Like, is there anyone, when I say contemporary, that's around, that's been doing this about the same amount of time as you, 
that are going up about the same amount of time as you? Is there anyone that like, man, I got to play with those guys again? Like who, if I say who, who's been at the game the same amount of time as you, who out there is good that's maybe not as well known? Uh, there, there's a band from Pittsburgh that I really, really like a lot named the Dan Boobian Band. They're great. Um, I think that they definitely should get more knowledge, be more known. Um, but as, as far as that, a, a lot of the people that I look up to and a lot of people that I would like to be on a show again that you would want to check out, it's already people who've already got a pretty big name. Okay. Is there any, like, do you guys play festivals, these blues festivals that are all over the place? You play any of those? If so, is there any that you prefer that you went, wow, this one is really great? I mean, I know you probably always enjoy to play. You're grateful to play. But is there any particular blues festivals that stick out to you? Um, there's There was a few. Uh, we played a few years ago in the Erie, Pennsylvania Jazz and Blues Festival. Um, and they had some really nice acts on that one uh, at that point. I remember it was uh, Eric Gales was actually supposed to be the headliner and something happened with him and he had to cancel out and then they filled him with Bernard Allison. So that was a really cool. Right on. Right yeah, on. It was a really cool show there. Um, and then uh, I think it was about two or three years ago in that same, same ballpark of time, um, the Western Maryland Blues Festival. And they had uh, Anna Popovic was there. And I think Joe Lewis Walker was in on that. And, you know, some other, pretty good sized people there and that was a good time so um but any any festival really they all stick out because they're all such a great time because it's just so many people are there to check out the music and and just be there to, to watch the bands and really appreciate what the bands are doing and the musicians are doing so they're all special to me every one of them that i get to play is a special event for me i love blues festival crowds i mean you see everything from every age from kids to grandparents and you know, people, the most well-behaved crowd that you're probably going to see at any sort of rock or blues show, you know. <laughs> it's... We always need to interact with the people who dig our band. I mean, when I'm done playing, I get down, I get my gear packed, whatever I need to do, and I'll take off and I'll walk around the whole crowd and talk to everybody. I, I really like talking with people after the show and obviously before the show, too, as well. You know, I, I, I like to be personable and one-on-one and -on -one with everybody who supports the band. I, I think that means a lot to them and it means a lot to me that they're, they're supporting us. Uh, so I read about green tea music. What can you tell me about that? A green tea music is my publishing company that I started actually when I started writing all my original material, you know, and I started getting it out and getting it registered and copywritten and everything um, and getting play for it. I needed somewhere for the royalties to go, which, you know, obviously not, massive amounts of royalties but i still needed that to go so i became a member of ASCAP, and they told me that i needed to have a publishing company for that to go to so i started it and it was just a name i just figured up in my head it was just green team music so i kind of use that as green team music is my label slash publishing deal and that's where you know all the the royalties and, and the money comes in it comes into into that name so green team music is also music your music label besides your publishing yeah, it's like my own indie little label. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Okay. What's been a learning curve for doing all the, you know, the business-esque stuff with your band, with your music? What, uh, 
it's very hard. <laughs> There's, you know, I, everything, the Jeff Fetterman band comes about, it's not because uh, I'm egotistical or anything. It's like, I've, I've just, out of the guys that I play with, I have the leadership skills. I have the qualities of where I want us to go. And I, I have the ideas and they're all for it. But the thing is, I write all the music. They, I mean, I, I write the music and then I bring it into them and I obviously let my band, you know, have their input on stuff and we can change things around until it becomes what we all like. But I've always kind of said, you know, when I write the songs, I, I write the songs, I bring them to them and then they make it come to life. Um, but there's so many hats that I'm wearing. I'm wearing, I'm wearing the, uh, the songwriter hat. I'm wearing the booking agent hat. I'm wearing the, uh, the manager hat. So I'm paying for everything on the road. I'm paying, you know, the, the whole shot. So there's obviously no, um, what do I want to say? There's, there's really no discussion about what's the name of the band. It's Jeff Fetterman band. Right. I'm the main guy that's putting all this together and, and they know that and they respect that, but it's not, it's not a thing. It's just all about me. I mean, we all make decisions. I talk to the guys, I ask them their opinions I take their opinions and we all discuss it. You know, we get along great, but it's, 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 it's a really hard thing to do with just one guy with me doing everything. Um, the, the biggest thing I found that's the most frustrating is trying to um, get bookings without an agent booking for you. You know, they don't really want to deal directly with the musician. They want to deal with your contact. Uh, so the booking thing is probably the biggest issue that, that kind of frustrates me um at this point right now you know but hopefully that'll change i you know i'm like right now i'm a free agent i i consider myself a free agent there's booking agents out there or or you know bigger independent labels like roof records or gulf coast records or something like that i'm a free agent i'm i'm wanting to be picked up and i'm wanting to establish a great working relationship with these people um, I know that I could prove myself for that, but it's just, I think it's just gonna be a matter of time if something will happen like that or not. We'll just have to wait and see. What would you say, you know, as your growth from record to record, do you feel like it's changed a lot or, and also second part question, have you worked with producers? If so, the same producers or do you self-produce at all? So growth from record to record and, 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 you know, and your feedback or your experience with producers. Um, I, I've always tried to be kind of a self-produced kind of guy. I like to put that role on my hat too, as, as a producer, because I love to work inside studios and stuff. And I know what I'm hearing in my head. Um, the biggest song that's had the most success for me right now is off of an album. I did two albums ago called bottle full of blues. Uh, that's been the most successful album I've ever done so far. Uh, I've got almost just almost two million hits on that song "Bottle Full of Blues" on YouTube right now. Um, everybody loves the song and always gets great reaction. Um, I I self-produced that with a local uh, studio. The last album before this newest one, I ended up going to uh, I think it's called GCR Studios in Buffalo, New York, which is owned by the Goo Goo Dolls, and I ended up doing an album there. And that one there didn't really get much attention. Um, it sold some copies, you know, but not as many as I would have liked. And, <clears throat> excuse me, and now this one here that we just released, Southern Sun, I was reading about Kid Anderson. I'm not sure if you're familiar with Kid Anderson and Greaseland Studios out in uh, uh, San Jose, California. He's actually the guitar player for Rick Estrin and the Nightcats. Okay. And 
we went out there. I had heard about him, so I contacted him about producing because he he's a very a very knowledgeable musician and a great producer. Name names. Um, so I contacted him about going out there and producing this album that we got now, and he was all for it. So I made arrangements, and then I flew the band and us out in February of this year, and we went out and worked with Kid Anderson at Greaseland, and he produced this newest album, Southern Sun. And he did a tremendous job. He really did a great job. I'm very happy with the product. Right, right. You mentioned the Allman Brothers earlier. Part part of this podcast, you know, it's all things blues and Southern rock. And one thing I'm trying to do with that is, you know, kind of like, you know, shatter that kind of, you know, this surface imagery of what Southern rock is. Um, anyone besides the Allman Brothers, you know, that plays that kind of style of music, whether it's someone that's been around for a long time, legendary bands, new bands, anything that you get into, I, I listen to every type of music possible. I'm always learning and wanting to learn something new. I I, I have so many influences. Um, I, I listen to the Allman Brothers. I listen to people like Government Mule, Kenny Wayne Shepherd. I'm I'm a big fan of Kenny Wayne Shepherd's, and and I know the guy personally, and he's he's a great guy. Um, he's been a huge influence on me. I'm extremely influenced lyrically by Bruce Springsteen. I just absolutely love Bruce Springsteen's music. Uh, Prince, I'm I'm heavily into Prince, uh, Zeppelin, all the old classic 60s, 70s bands. I I listen to everything. So <laughs> there's not anybody specific that is my favorite because they're all just such great musicians and and they've all put their place in music. And and there's you know even local musicians who I've been influenced by as well that that are great musicians as well. So uh, there's 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 many many bands out there that are just great you had some music uh, in films if i'm correct right yes and how did that come about that came about when i had the demo album uh the long hard road i had like six or seven songs on it or something like that and i was just trying to shop around for a publishing company to shop them to different things you know for music and film and stuff like that and actually a company called uh, Transition Music Corporation out of, I think it's Toluca Lake, California, contacted me, and they signed a couple of the songs um, off that demo to use for, like, commercials and, and film and stuff like that. And they sent me the letter back, and I figured, you know, I mean, I was sending it out to just pretty much everybody, and I just kept getting reject, reject, reject. And then I got that letter from them, and I figured, well, here's another rejection. And I opened it up, and they said that they liked a couple of the songs they wanted to know if I would like to sign those with them. And if I did, just sign on a dotted line, and they gave me the percentage of what they wanted, what I would get. And I thought, well, what the heck, why not? I was not getting anywhere on my own, so I might as well just do it. So I did. I signed, you know, I signed a small contract with them, and that's how they ended up using that for um, putting some stuff in some film and, and commercial and stuff. So we're starting to see these kind of uh, little shows that are starting to pop up, these social distancing shows. Um, have you done anything with that or plan on to? Or We have, yeah. I've done one or two from the house, uh, a couple of like a, a live type thing for just about a half hour or so. And then I did record a live show for a Facebook group called Can't Stop the Blues, who they have a lot of people on there um doing shows and stuff and they would like you to put like an hour 
of a show on there and I did that one for them but that's the longest one I did was the show for Can't Stop the Blues but honestly I don't really want to do them much anymore because to me it's just me playing around at the house or wherever I'm at and then streaming it live which is nice and it it keeps the listeners connected and stuff but I feel there's a magic missing you don't get the true authenticity of what it's like to be in front of a crowd or a crowd being you know watching you and it, it just lacks that magic so it's it's I'm at the point where you know I have a lot of people always ask me please upload something and I think about it and it's like well there's so many people doing it now and I've always tried mm-hmm. to break not being what everybody else is doing um so I, I tend to hold off on doing a lot of the live streaming stuff. I've done it two or three times, but I don't really want to get into the habit of doing it. Right. So I, I kind of keep step back from that a little bit. I guess more like what I meant was like, I hear about these shows where they're, they're doing like a third capacity or half capacity where there's 20 people there. Or yeah, 30 so we've, people. yeah. We have done some of those. Um, it's tough, you know, because in our state here in Pennsylvania, you know, you're only allowed to come in at 25% capacity. So if the club is only holding a small club of 200 people, you know, you're only allowed to fit in 30 people or whatever. And that's, that's considering the, all the band members, plus the staff, everything. So it, it makes it hard, but yeah, we have done some shows like that. I'd say probably about eight or so of them this year. That's all they've been basically is just those kind of shows um, because there's the big venues, you know, they're not, they're not allowed to bring anybody in. I've got to imagine that that's such a difference of, you know, you're not going to get the same amount of adrenaline or that energy. I was talking to someone earlier about sports and I'm like, I've kind of checked out of that now because it's just weird like to watch when there's no audience, you know, no crowd. Yeah. I, I see the baseball games now, you know, you know, even close to Pittsburgh, you know, the Pittsburgh Pirates aren't too far away. And I watch a couple of their games and it's like they got the crowd cheering, but you look in the yeah. back, it's paper cutouts sitting in yeah. the seat. Yeah. You know, it's just not yeah. the same. Well, hopefully soon, you know, we're all really, really hoping. You I'm know, hoping it, it, it's, you know, I've heard other people say, you know, and I've felt it too, like it's like we've, in the past, we've really taken that for granted. There's going to be shows. Hey, I'll go to a show. I'll skip this one. There'll be another one next time, you know. And now everybody's like, I need shows. I need shows, <laughs> you know. Yes. And when we're able to do that again, you know, I want to give a plug to my my co-host is in Columbia, Missouri, Jeremy Hunsaker. And he plays in a band called Driving Wheel. And they're a little more of a, of a North Mississippi Hill country kind of blues. But, you know, some of the regular style, too, you know, there's a really good scene down there in Columbia, Missouri, if you ever get down that way and, you know, talk to some people about setting up a gig or whatever. But we should also uh, give a plug to, you know, I was putting in contact with you, and I believe it was your publicist, publicist, Doug, I couldn't, I'm not sure how he pronounced his last name. Deutsch, Doug Deutsch. Okay. We should yeah. give him a plug. Great guy, Doug Deutsch. Uh, he's done a lot for me. He's gotten me a lot of great reviews on this new album. And he, uh, when I when I contacted him about working with him, uh, he was really into the music. And he was like, "Yeah, man, let's go for it." And him and I, we've we've hit it off real well. Um, and he's he's really worked his rear end off for me, and I really appreciate that. And um, that's what I want to do with the people that I I get into business with. I want us both 
to try to succeed at the highest level that we can as a team and and be professional and and that's the way it's been going with him so far and i'm I'm very happy with his services he's done a great job for me so far yeah i want to say thank you to doug too for for setting this up man that really means a lot to me i really really appreciate that i appreciate your time uh is what do you uh where do we find your information what do you need to plug um, you know, we got the new album out. It's called Southern Sun, and you can find that on my website, jeffbetterman.com. You can buy it from there on that website, or it's also on Amazon. It's on iTunes. It's on Spotify. It's on Deezer. It's on all the major music platforms for downloading. Um, you can go to the website. You know, obviously, there's not many shows going on right now because of the COVID situation, unfortunately. But uh, if, if people really want to check out this new, if you know if they're fans of Stevie Ray Vaughan, uh, Hendrix, and and some Motown and funk and soul music and you know Kenny Wayne Shepherd style, then then this album is right up their alley. I think they would really enjoy this album. It's uh, got a lot of good qualities, I think. So and then they can check that out at jeffetterman.com and get the information on the band on all that. Read our bio, our resume, listen to music, watch video have at it spread the word <laughs> well before i let you go we always uh, ask the artists if we can uh, play out with one of their songs and if so uh, if you would pick something from your from your any of your records that you would like us to play out with you know as far as any songs that i would prefer anybody to play or for you to play it i would leave that up to you i mean everybody's got a different taste. You know, I, I may like a slower blues. You may want to jump blues or you may want to blues rock. So I've always kind of just left that up to the listener to say, Hey, let's just pick this one and see, see what it's like. Thank you to Jeff Fetterman for being on the podcast. I really enjoyed my conversation with Jeff. Um, it's always good to learn about an artist that I had not heard about before. And I'll look forward to uh, hearing more of what Jeff has to offer musically. Hope to see him sometime at a festival. That would be uh, very awesome. So, our next, uh, our next uh, person, the next man that I had the pleasure of chatting with, Jared England from Black Mountain Prophet. Black Mountain Prophet is a band out of Nashville, Tennessee. Mostly recording artist um, has done some one-off live stuff. Uh, Jared is from uh, Kentucky, and uh, you'll hear all about his uh, people that he's been playing with in bands with. He uh, fronted the Screaming Cheetah Wheelies for a short time after Mike Ferris left. Um, he has a gentleman in his, you know, helping him produce these records by the name of Cody Hutchinson. And or Brody Hutchinson, sorry, Brody Hutchinson. So, Brody ran sound for uh, Government Mule and the Black Crows for a while, I guess. So, having said all that, let's uh, get into uh, my conversation with Jared England from Black Mountain Prophet.
back and guest on this episode of the All Things Blues and Southern Rock podcast. This is a band called Black Mountain Prophet out of uh, Nashville, Tennessee. Today we have with us Mr. Jared England. Uh, uh, Black Mountain Prophet has two albums out. One from 2013 called Notorious Sinner and 2016 uh, from Tales from the South. How are you doing today, Jared? I'm doing good, man. How are you? Doing good? I'm good. What uh so what have you been doing in the downtime with the quarantine? Ah uh, man, I I um uh, when I'm trying to put my battery up here, my phone's going dead. Hold on just a second. Um I record I mean uh, record. I restore a lot of vintage cars, hot rods, uh, got a paint shop, body shop. That's pretty much what I've been doing. Um, when I chatted with you before, you said like uh, the kind of band is kind of on a break right now or hiatus or mm, yeah mm. okay okay the COVID you know the COVID right. thing of course shut everybody down but but um, you know we just we have our spells like most bands where we get creative and we get together and then we'll take you know take breaks and right now we're out there in limbo somewhere yeah. So nothing going on right now with, with that? Any activity with that at all? Or uh, With Black Mountain Prophet, there's, you know, of course, we're always talking and and we're always texting lyrics back and forth to each other and I always write and I've always got my voice notes going and that's the way I write. When I come up with, with a lyric or something, I go straight to voice notes and put it in but um i think right now uh, what i'm going to concentrate on next is um i've got a friend in a county or two over used to run sound with the almond brothers he's got a studio there and i think we're probably going to do some kind of jared england project um you know and i i'm pretty sure it, i hate <laughs> I hate calling it a solo record because mm. I'm not into the solo record thing, but looks like that may be what what it may be. And we've we've uh, talked about, you know, a um, a number of different musicians on it. You know, it's like a collaboration of, of a lot of different musicians that I've been in bands with and played with before, and different people. And so we've talked about that. Of course, we're always talking about doing another black mountain prophet album um you know because golly man we've got probably close to 200 300 songs you know we just it's just a matter of you know dipping into the well and pulling some out and, and getting them on tape you know and recording them but um that's the way we you know we've just we hit a spell there where the where the fountain just wouldn't run dry and we just kept writing and kept writing and kept writing and we've got so much material that the hardest part's making up our mind what you know what we're going to put on a record you know notorious center was uh something like that if you listen to the album you can tell there's different um i don't know how to say it there's the record almost sounds like two records. Mm -hmm. uh, it's 
it's not. We recorded it all together at the same time. Everything we record is live pretty much in the studio. But um, the first Black Mountain Prophet record, Notorious Center, you know, it's it's got a lot of uh, free influence. You know, the band Free, mm -hmm. uh, Humble Pie. Uh, mm -hmm. I was listening to a lot of Humble Pie and Free. I remember that when we were recording that album. And I was listening to Doyle Bramhall uh, Jr.'s first record, which is my favorite record that he that he ever did. But um, we, and and I, <laughs> interestingly enough, a lot of that rubbed off on that first record. And then, um, um, and then there's some darker. Um, there's a darker side to that first album, uh, like the song. Notorious Sinners, Deuteronomy, you know, a lot of those songs go into, uh, go into your, in, into your, um, I don't really know how to put it, they just, I want to say, you know, like your, your closet where all your, where all your demons are hiding, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, that's uh, probably that as far as I want to get into that part mm -hmm. of it. But yeah, there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of truth to that record. Uh, mm -hmm. You know, there's uh, a lot of truth. Uh, of course, it was uh, the album was uh, dedicated to Wood, uh, Alan Woody mm -hmm. and uh, and our um, our sound engineer Brody Hutchison and, and Wood were real good friends, if not best friends. Chris. Mm -hmm. Brody was uh, was sound engineer, sound man for Government Mill for seven years, mm -hmm. and then he come on board with us, and and uh, so anyway, that first record's you know got a lot of truth to it. This the second record kind of took a little different spin. It was a little more, uh, <clears throat> it was more of a bluesy southern type record, which is really mm -hmm. what. I think I'm really all about, but mm -hmm. um, the truth, the 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 sound, you know, the the sound changed, um, but we took on you know some different uh, musicians on the second album. The mm -hmm. second album, uh, Tales from the South, is the drummer from my previous band, Rufus Huff, which is. Mm -hmm. The Greg Martin of the Kentucky Headhunters, Dean Smith, and Chris Hardesty of Superfuzz, and myself. That was Rufus Huff. And, um, but the second Black Mountain Prophet album was definitely more Southern rooted, uh, more bluesy. Um, I play slide guitar on that song, Open Tuning, on that album. Um, every song, I think, but two songs. And I had just learned how to play slide. Mm -hmm. I'd never played open tuning slide. And when that day I tuned to open E and grabbed the slide, and I just started playing. Mm -hmm. Within six, eight weeks, that record was done. So mm -hmm. just um, the way the slide came to me so natural, um, you know, the songs just kept coming to me and kept coming to me and kept coming to me. And uh, of course, Brody and I do a lot of writing together, and uh, we're always tossing lyrics back and forth. And 
I'm putting them, you know, with the music. And next thing you know, we had Tales from the South. And, uh, you know, still it's got some, you know, uh, you know, humble pie sounds to it. Uh, mm-hmm. Where's My Woman is one of them. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, it's it's more it's more of a, you know, 70s kind of rock sounding song. Mm-hmm. But, uh, but as far as what I'm, you know, what I'm doing next, I've always been into the Southern rock stuff. Um, you know, the Almond Brothers, I love the Almond Brothers. I grew up on Leonard Skinner. But the Skinner songs that I like are the more obscure type, right. you know, songs that Skinner did. Uh, there's some good stuff that they, that, you know, that, that I really like, you know, but uh, I like all their stuff. I'm not I'm not gonna say I don't. But. I'm I'm similar like that too. I'm like, hey, what about songs like "Give Me Back My Bullets" and "Saturday Night Special"? You know, and everybody's interesting. Yep, yeah. yep, yep. So Brody Hutchinson is also the producer, or you guys co-produce, or yeah, we co-produce together. Yeah, we we we're um, Brody and I work really good together, and and um, so we him. Bob Watkins and myself, we, we produced pretty much both records, yeah. Now, what else, where are those guys, what else have they worked on? Like, what other artists or just friends of yours? Or? Well, Bob Watkins was founding member and guitar player of the Screaming Cheetah Willies. Okay. And, um, and of course, um, this last uh, lineup is Bob and Steve Burgess, the bass player of the Screaming Chill Wheelies. Mm-hmm. Um, back in 2000, and golly, man, I'm not really sure of the dates, but I'm going to say maybe 10 or 11. Um, I took Mike Ferris's place in uh, Screaming Chill Wheelies. Okay. And uh, we started a record, and uh, it just did I never felt right, never felt comfortable taking the spot of a you know, I wouldn't want anybody doing that with me with Rufus Huff. because uh, I'm the singer for Rufus Huff. Mm-hmm. And and I think Mike was really the singer for SCW, so I I just didn't feel right doing that and I didn't want to do it. I I wanted to I wanted to the performance part, but I didn't want to take somebody's place. Mm-hmm. And that's how Black Mountain Prophet uh, uh, formed. Okay. And um, uh, but Brody, Brody's not a musician. He's a heck of a writer. He's a killer sound man, and, mm. and he knows what to do in the in the studio. And uh, he was with, uh, and he's a member. He's you know he's a member of the band. I mean, uh, he's just not a musician in the band. Mm-hmm. He's one of our members, and. Uh, and of course, he was with, like I said, uh, Government Mule for seven years. He was their sound man and colleague. Brody's been with Roy Morgan, Ronnie Millsap. He's run sound with the Black Crows. He's run. Right I mean, on and on. I mean, he's you know he's run sound for everybody. The Kentucky Headhunters. He's run sound with the Almond Brothers. Um, and I, I could go on and on, but. Uh, but um, after he left uh, gov- Government Mule, he ran sound with Screaming Cheetah Wheelies for a while, and then he started running it with us. We just mainly did some records. Um, 
we weren't uh, we weren't out playing. We, you know, we're all we all hold down jobs and that, you know, this and that. We we don't really get out and tour and play. We just like to make make records. Not that we won't, but uh, I'm just not. You know, I'm 50 years old, man. I don't care right. about getting on a bus and sleeping on right. a week with a bunch of guys. You know, I, yeah. you know, but I still love making music. I love to perform it, um, but I, I love to make records. You know, and uh, of course, like I said, Chris Hardesty, he's the he played with a uh, a real killer band, Superfuzz. And um, and then the other uh, guy on that second record was Brian Whitty. He um, he actually played bass on that second record, but right now he's been playing some rhythm guitar with us, and Steve Burgess has taken the bass. Now Steve Burgess did a lot of the uh, bass on the first record. Uh, I know he did uh, some song on there, something in the water. Uh, there's a song called. Um, Oral Broken Heart. There's a lot of, of course, it says on the record who played on what and who wrote what. But, but right now the lineup in the in the in the band is is still me and Bob. Chris Hardesty's back, you know, on drums, and Steve Burgess is on bass. Do you guys have you do you ever play? You know, just like regional shows, like you just said. You know that you got you don't like to tour. Um, so you played any shows? around or just basically recording we've done some private stuff um but no as far as festivals and stuff like that no we just no. we don't not that not that we wouldn't mm-hmm. uh, it's just everybody's so spread out now it's it's really hard to do bob's in texas now of course i'm actually from a, a town in kentucky uh, scottsville kentucky that's where i live and then or Steve's in uh, in Nashville. He's about an hour and thirty minutes from me. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're just spread out right now. And of course, the like I said, the the COVID things taking the wind out of everybody's sails. You know, it's it's like a ghost town around here. You just don't <laughs> we don't stay in contact like we did. But I know what's on everybody's mind, and that's you know, what everybody's plans are. We're just kind of waiting this thing out like everybody else. How'd you get your start in music? Uh, man, when I, uh, that's what the song Something in the Water is about on the first record. Um, I, I always uh, was drawn to music, you know, something about, before I knew what cool was, um rock and roll when it would when i would hear it you know at the age of golly three four years old it turned my head and uh, of course my mother had an old jukebox a 53 seaberg i've still got it now it's out in my garage uh but it's loaded down you know with buddy holly elvis presley mountain the hollies uh, um you know i remember when long cool woman used to kick on on that jukebox and i stood you know, the speaker was right to my ear, you know, and I could just barely reach up there and hit those numbers. And Long Cool Woman was E1, Mississippi Queen was E2, 
And uh, man, when those songs would come on, you know, I didn't know what to do. And uh, then I remember uh, we went to Florida the year Leonard Skinner crashed. And um, and we were going to see, I think it was a movie called Grease, I think. And um, before the movie come on, um, of course, it was a sad day all over the world, but it was sad in Florida for sure. And, and a guy comes over the intercom there and said that they uh, were going to pay tribute to Leonard Skinner and play their... Uh, their last concert you know and i was i don't know seven six seven eight years old and they played that concert you know over the screen there and i'm watching it and i and i you know i added it up i was like that's what i'm supposed to do right there so on the way home we we were in some kind of discussion and i was sitting in the back seat with my sister and my mom turns around and you know Asked my sister what she was going to be when she grew up. Of course, I don't remember what my sister said, but but Mom asked me what I was going to be. I said, "I'm going to grow my hair out, quit school, I'll play rock and roll," <laughs> <laughs> and I did it all. But I ended up uh, after I quit school, I went back the next Monday, you know, to another school and and uh, signed up there and graduated. But but. Uh, which I recommend all you rockers to do graduate, <laughs> but uh, um, but that's you know I knew that's that and cars man I've always been uh, I've, cars do me the same way you know I'm just as happy out there working on a lot rod as I am playing music any day you know so so that's pretty much how I got into it my mother <laughs> right on. And she always had an hot rod, man. She had a 1970 LS6 four-speed Chevelle. She had a 69 Corvette, 58 Corvette, two four-barrels, and a four-speed. You know, I was all I was around that stuff all the time. So, and my first car was a I bought when I was 11 was a a black 55 Chevrolet two-door hardtop four-speed. So I've you know I've always been around cars and music. What other bands, you know, like you say, you don't you don't tour, but what other bands that have been around, say, anywhere from ten to fifteen to twenty years down in that area of the country, like your contemporaries, who anybody that you listen to or go out and see? Um. Well, I I don't get out a whole lot to go and you know and and go to shows and stuff like I used to. Um, I'm so damn critical these mm-hmm. days. Um, it's it's the same way with music as it is car shows. I can't go to a car show without picking everything on the car out, you know, right? Because um, I'm I'm a perfectionist, and I try to be that way with music. Um, I I don't try to pick the music. I try to be a perfectionist with the music. But I think a lot of times the 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 beauty and the the uh and and that's the same way with cars is like patina cars are in really in style now and i love them and they're not perfect but they are in their way and that's the way music is i think a perfect songs of a sad you know too polished you know i'm not into that mm-hmm. but um i like you know i like i can tell you every mistake 
in those songs <laughs> on, on both records because uh, they're full of them. But nobody knows that. But, mm-hmm. but the band, you know, you guys, when you all listen to it, you, band, you know, that's you know, that's all right or that sucks. Well, either way, most of those songs have mistakes in them. But, you know, they're live. They're, they're, uh, they're recorded live. And uh, and so there's going to be mistakes, but some of those mistakes end up being part of the song. But as far as uh, you know, bands that I go see around here, um, golly man, I don't know. I haven't been to been to a show in so long. I think the last the last show I went to was ZZ Top at the Ryman because I, I where are you from? Where do you where are you at? I'm up in North Dakota. Well, um, have you ever been to the Ryman? And I have not. Well, I haven't been to Nashville, no. Man, it's just a killer place to go see anybody. It's it's close. It's intimate. It's a real good sound. Um, I don't know how how many people the Ryman holds. It's, it's not a whole lot, but I'm sure you could probably get on the internet somewhere and and get a good idea of you know mm. what the Ryman's about. But my wife and I went to ZZ Top there. And, um, you know, no matter where you sit at the Ryman, it's like you're right up on stage. And uh, I knew that would be a good show to go see. But local local stuff, uh, um, I just don't get out a whole lot, you know, and go see a lot of live music like I used to. Mm-hmm. I, think, I don't mean to sound like a downer or nothing. No, no, no. That's... I think the older, the older you get, you get a little more mellow, you know. Mm-hmm. Oh, for sure. You just you just don't get out and you know, yeah. I'm 50 and, myself, so I, yeah. I hear where you're coming from. It just it seems like in the last 10 years or so, like I'm very 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 fascinated with your area of the country and the music that comes out of there. That's why this podcast exists. I mean, something in the water down here, man. And it just seems like it's almost like a, you guys down there feel like a responsibility. It's more than just hey, you know how many how many chicks are coming to the show or whatever. Like it seems like it's like you are the music and the music is you. I mean, it, so you, you can just name off all that, you know, Blackberry Smoke and right. and Whiskey Myers and Tyler Bright and the Shakedown and, right. well, Bishop Gunn broke up and then Magnolia Bayou and all this new band, uh, Tennessee Champagne, and the list goes on. All of a sudden it's just like, you know, and it doesn't seem like it's just a scene. It's like something that that's meant to happen. I mean, all these great bands that I'm just like so excited about. You, you guys as well. What's that? Otis, there's a band called Otis, a southern band. They, they used to follow us around a lot. I mean, they they actually practiced in our practice house, used our instruments. But mm-hmm. the, the band's called Otis, O-T-I-S. They're a really good band. You need to check okay. them out. You need to tell them I told you so. But, uh, um, yeah, there's a lot of good music that, that uh, you know, that comes from from down this way. Um, and you're right. Um, we're... I, I almost—it's almost like the musicians here—they don't have this attitude, but they've got this. Um, you know, we're—I consider us to be music. We're—we're we're what music is. We just—and it's not something we're trying to do. It's—it's it's, if you're a musician here, a, a true musician, if you've got it, if you've got the gift, then. You, you just do what you want to do and you're going to be all right. You start, 
you start trying to copy or mimic or follow people. I don't even think that exists here. You're when 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 you're born, you're born a musician. You're born that musician. You just gotta you just gotta come out and start expressing what you're feeling and you know what you want to play. And you're gonna be all, it's gonna be all right. Um, you know I've I've seen musicians that. Um, you know, I, I was telling somebody the other day, I think there's two kinds of musicians. There's the guys that want to be, and they research, and they learn, and I would call that more of a technical type, I guess. And then there's there's these other guys, like, you know, Blackberry Smoke, like you mentioned. They just uh, plug in, and something comes out, and they're like, hey, man, I think that's a song, you know? Mm-hmm. And, uh, I guess it's I hate to say that a, a technical guy's not a not a natural musician, but uh, let me tell you this much: a natural guy can get on YouTube, can get on, and can learn some technical stuff and sit down and watch it. I think they get bored really fast because there's so much in them that needs to come out that the technical part of it. It's it's a bore, at least it is to me. And a technical type musician, I don't think he can get on the internet or YouTube and 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 type in natural <laughs> and get natural. You know what I mean? So I think that's I think that's what the uh, difference is in the music down here. I think it, not that there's not natural musicians all over the world. But I know there's there is here. I'm with you on that. I, you know, well, Greg Allman said, you know, hey, Southern rock is just rock, rock, and that's another goal of this podcast to kind of like burst that kind of that stereotype of. Yeah, they you know, like that on us whether we liked it or not. Yeah, yeah, right, <laughs> right, right. You know, has everybody ever told you, you know, your tone of your voice is a bit like Billy Gibbons? It's familiar to that. Well, have you ever heard of Rich Little? Rich Little, yeah, from Big and Rich. No, there was a, no. I know you have because you're my age. There used to be <laughs> a guy that come on TV. He'd be on the Johnny Carson show. Oh, yeah, 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 for and sure. He could yeah. do anybody's voice. Yeah, there. Yeah, I remember. Yep. I, I'm like that. I, yeah. Now, now I don't. I can't make myself sound like nobody. I can't do that. It's who I've been listening to. So. Mm-hmm. Who I've been listening to rubs off on me a lot mm-hmm. to the point when I'm recording, um, it starts to, it, it gets inside of me so much that it almost sounds like it a little. You know, if you, if you listen, like I said, the first album, if you listen to the first album, I've had people that, uh, Charles Whitfield owns Whitfield Guitars, told me, man, for a long time, I thought there was three different singers on that first record. And um, it, uh, you know, it depends on what I'm doing. If I'm doing the blues and I'm singing more natural, yeah, I've heard a lot of the Billy Gibbons stuff, you know, remarks that, hey, man, this, this, somebody told me they thought they heard the song and thought ZZ uh, Top had a new, had a new <laughs> record. Mm. And, uh, but, uh, no, I, you know, I was, uh, I was backstage with, Peter Frampton one time and uh, I don't know I think it was 14 we were we were I don't think we played with Government Mule up there 
government Warren puts on a show every year. I can't remember if it's North Carolina or South Carolina. Anyway, we were there, and I was backstage with Peter, and he he was telling me about uh, you know input and output, and uh, and you know he said, man, he said we're we're we put out what we take in as musicians. Uh, what you listen to, and I'm always careful about what I'm listening to, uh, because I know that's going to come out of me somehow or another. It's, I'm, it, it, and it's like Peter said, the, the music that you produce is the music that you're taking in, the stuff you're listening to. And whether we like it or not, it's like somebody told me one time, said, and uh, asked me if I was a big Hendrix fan. Now, it's not that I'm not a big Hendrix fan. I never listened to a whole lot of Hendrix, but I've got Hendrix in my playing whether I like it or not <laughs> because somebody else was listening to Hendrix that I listened to, you know. And so there's a little bit of Hendrix in all of us, I think. Uh, uh, but as far as the, the way my voice sounds, uh, expressions you know i've listened to so much zz top uh, you know over my lifetime i mean i mean i mean i used to just i used to take lagrange and lay down in the floor and put the speakers up to my ears and crank that damn thing wide open and just golly man it's like food you know mm -hmm. right on and uh, and i think that stuff comes out in you you know uh when you're in the studio, uh, I think it comes out easier in your playing than it does in your in your voice. But uh, but a lot of times it's not really the sound of your voice; it's how you express things and how you say things, and you know, um, and that stuff really sticks to me. You know, when I'm listening to somebody, it it just sticks to me. And when I get into the studio and and, and if, if I'm singing, if I'm getting ready to lay a vocal track down and we're getting ready to hit it, if, if um, you know, if Trez Andre's album flashes through my mind, next thing you know, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm feeding off that record while I'm recording a song, you know, mm -hmm. it's, it's crazy, but it's true. It's, 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 if you listen to the first record, listen to the first record and I bet you you can almost name who I was listening to when we were recording the songs. <laughs> I, I hear a little bit of Sammy Hagar and and somebody else whose name I can't remember. I thought maybe it's the, the singer from April Wine. There's a song called Driving Wheel. I yeah. can't remember who does that. That really kind of higher range. Yeah. Got you driving wheel. Yeah. Whoever oh, that yeah, is. I remember that song. Was that yeah. April? I never listened to much April Wine. And well, I never, neither do I. <laughs> I was a Van Hagar fan, but... I was a heavy Montrose uh, fan before before Sammy ever joined Van Halen. Matter of fact, Ronnie was going to produce our Rufus Huff record. He called me at my house and he mm -hmm. and he said, uh, you know, he he well actually he called Greg's phone. We were rehearsing, writing the first Rufus Huff record out in the in the studio here that I no longer have and. Um, he said, Jared, this is Ronnie Montrose. Said, How you doing, man? I said, God, man, this ain't Ronnie. He said, no, I'm going to produce your record. And, uh, and, and long story short, he got sick, you know, and he, 
of course he passed away and he didn't get to do that so we we produced it ourselves but uh, uh you know greg greg's a grammy award winner he's he's uh he's been around a couple of studios so i think we did all right on the first rufus huff record um um but um i lost my train of thought i don't even know what your question was <laughs> <laughs> oh that's all good that's all good um <laughs> What can you tell us about Grooveyard Records? Uh, well, Joe Romanola, he owns Grooveyard Records. Uh, he he actually he actually uh, I think he tracked me down. Um, I'm good friends with the uh, editor of uh, at least been the editor of Hot Rod Magazine, popular Hot Rod Magazine, Carcraft, I mean all these magazines, and and he had actually called me or emailed me he got in touch with greg and wanted to know if he could have my email and emailed me and flew me out to california and i sung on these two songs it was it was myself and and the editor johnny Hunkins, and then uh uh tony franklin the the fretless wonder played mm -hmm. with Hermes, he's kenny wayne shepherds uh tommy franklin is it tommy or tony i think it's tony Okay, Tony, and then uh, Derek St. Holmes. Right. Yeah. Yeah. He's Ted Nugent's. Yeah. Band. It was it was him and me, and and Franklin, and I think the drummer may had been. I think he had was actually playing with Paul Rogers at the time. Anyway, we we recorded two songs there, and they went out on an album and. I don't even remember what the album was. Crash and Burn, Johnny Huggins, something like that. So, um, and Joe found out that I was doing this with the editor, and he wanted me to get in touch with him. And so, if you listen to that song, Something in the Water, on the first record, I wrote that song while I was talking to Joe at Grooveyard Records. I was on the phone with him. I called him when I flew back to Kentucky. I picked up the phone. I called him. And so he starts asking me questions. You know, he gave me the vocal God of the year in New York City back in 2007 or 2008 after the Rupert Sepulchre came out. But uh, he, uh, he, you know, he was just asking me. He said, uh, hey, man, he said, where are you cats? Get your soul. And... Uh, he wanted to know if it was in our moonshine, you know, so what we put in our moonshine. If you listen to something in the water, that's exactly what it says. And I just told him, I said, man, it's, it's just in the water down here, you know. Mm -hmm. And, uh, um, but he, he, uh, he's got a lot of cool, uh, let me, let me back up. I kind of thought about what I might say to you today when you call and I was thinking, I, I hate to say it, but, you know, rock and roll was not dead it's just mm -hmm. underground right. and you'll find a lot of that at grooveyard records mm -hmm. uh, the stuff that we wondered where it's gone where it went you know where's all the rock and roll man that guy signed some killer bands mm -hmm. uh, there's really some good bands on that on that label and uh and really with joe all i gotta do is record something send it to him he you know, put it out he just you know thinks that much of us you know and uh um, the label's really cool. They're they're good to work with. Uh, 
they're not in your face and wanting to be, you know, in charge of everything. They just they just let me go in and they trust what I do and I take the wheel and go in there and record and send it to them and they put it out, you know. And, and uh, but if you really want to chase down some uh, some real good rock and roll. It, if you're wondering where any of it went, it's gone to Brewyard. There's there's a lot of real cool, obscure, you know, underground stuff there. Hail to the underground. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I've been checking some of that stuff out, you know. A couple more things before I let you go here. Um, you know, you mentioned uh, Brody Hutchinson. He uh, did Sound for the Black Crows. They're really the reason why this podcast exists, and oh, we really? got some... I got a co-host who's seen them over a hundred times. I've seen them 20. We got some friends that do a black crows podcast called state of America. Yeah. And you know, it's, they opened so many doors for when they came out being so different from everything that was around at MTV and all that, you know, so that's, that's really cool that you mentioned that, you know, that they, I don't, you know, I don't think he was, he was actually hired. He was, you know, hired by them, but you know, when you run sound for the Black Crows, that goes on your resume. Oh, yeah. And he's run, you know, several, he runs sound several shows. But I think at the time he was running sound for the Black Crows, he was actually working for Government Mule. Right. And, um, but, uh, you know, when you're running around with those guys, they can get to run sound for everybody, you know. Right, right. You, you know, you just walk in, they're like, get out of the way. I'm taking over. <laughs> yeah. And, but, uh, so, any story behind whiskey don't make me cry anymore? Oh man, uh, yeah, there is. Um, I, I'm a just because um, this is my story and I'm sticking to it. But uh, you know, like I said, growing up with a jukebox in the house, uh, you had the rock and roll side, you had the blues in the middle, and you had the country, you know, to the far left and and uh, and I like the old country. Um, I I love to listen to Willie. I love to listen to, to Waylon. Um, I even like the Ronnie Millsap stuff. I didn't start listening to any of that though till after I found out Brody ran sound for him. But um, I like the early Hank Jr. stuff. Heck, I even like the later Hank Jr. stuff. I just like that. And it's just that real good Southern sound about a lot of that. And uh, and uh and i really i really liked it um what was the question what did you ask me <laughs> oh what's the story behind that song well so i'm sitting in uh the living room one night golly i hope i'm getting hammered for this and the country music awards came on and um i just got disgusted <laughs> you know i was like man this is what it's gone to and then i and and, you know, and I'm sitting there thinking, man, what would George Jones think right now? You know, you're you're putting all this. All this uh, poppy soul stuff on a George song, you know, and I got mad. And I was like, country music doesn't make me cry anymore. You know, it just doesn't. It's not about, you know, losing your home and pawning your strat and can't get it back. And uh, losing your woman, and you know, and and your dog, and it's it's totally different now. And I expect things to change. Things evolve, you know. Um, but I I really got mad, and 
and I went in there and wrote Whiskey Doesn't Make Me Cry, and Whiskey Don't Make Me Cry because it was really about, you know, listening to some country, taking a shot of Jim Beam or Jack Daniels and and uh, cooking a hamburger or something and listening to it on Sundays, and and it's not about that, at least to me anymore, and I, so I got disgusted, and I got up and went in there and grabbed the guitar and wrote Whiskey Don't Make Me Cry. And uh, and that's what it's it's really about. It's it's not about not drinking bourbon anymore because <laughs> I, I have one of them every Sunday, like I told you. <laughs> and uh, but it was that's pretty much what it was about. Was um, you know uh, Chris Stapleton, you know he uh, he covered that song uh, Tennessee whiskey, mm-hmm. and I. Man, I really like his voice, and I really like what he what he did with the song. But that was the song I was listening to that night, and it made mm. me it upset me a little bit because of right. the, you know, one of the Backstreet Boys or something got up there and sung it with him, and I was like, you know, and then I'm I'm sitting there watching all this stuff go on, and I'm like, hit the turn the TV off and went in there, right, right, just get up, you know, don't make me cry. I'm not. I'm not sure it was the right way to feel, you know, I'm not, I don't know how, you know, I don't know how I feel about that now today, but it did put out a, put out a pretty good song. <laughs> well, we always ask if we can play out a tune at the end of the episode from an artist, if that's okay, I'd like to play that song. Sure. And uh, I really appreciate you for coming on. It means a lot to me and uh, yeah. look forward to more black mountain prophet material if that's where the wind blows you and just uh really appreciate you coming on man i appreciate it a lot thanks for coming on we put something out you'll be the first to know man thanks for uh jared england for being on the podcast uh very much enjoyed that conversation and hearing about uh all the people that he's played with and uh people that have been in a screaming sheet of wheelies and producer that uh ran sound for government mule and the black crows um thank you so much for that and it's been a great episode talking to jeff fetterman before that uh another thing i wanted to mention that uh came to my mind now is that when i go on these podcast websites and i do a search for southern rock it's like our show comes up and uh, one other one that had some episodes back in 2016 so that makes me feel good that there's uh, apparently not a lot of people doing this. There's a lot of them that have just music. Um, so I'm just looking forward to the evolution of the show and taking it to the next level and, you know, just having conversations with people. It's like we were in a coffee shop or a bar and, you know, not so much like a formal interview. So I just, I'm just so grateful and I want to thank everybody that's uh, making this thing uh, continue to live. So... Anyway, we're going to play some uh, music for you guys now uh, from our, you know, interview subjects, conversations, I mean. These wonderful guys, Jeff Fetterman and Jared England. We're going to play from Southern Sun, Jeff Fetterman's latest album, Feels Like Rain, and then we will go into, and we talked about this song a little bit with Jared England, but from the last Black Mountain Prophet record, Tales from the South, We are going to play Whiskey Don't Make Me Cry. 
So having said that, always remember, Southern Rock is reverent and blues is blood. We'll see you next time.
It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. 